You are listening to the Great Commission Leadership Podcast, a podcast that encourages leaders pursuing the Great Commission. Before we get started, I wanted to ask a favor. Real quick, would you hit pause and go and leave a rating and review on whatever platform you're listening on? Research shows that this is the best way for new people to find this podcast, but more importantly, to be exposed to these amazing guests that we have on the podcast every week. So thanks for helping out, and I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Welcome to the Great Commission Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Graham Withers, and I'm so thankful that you are listening today. Great Commission Leadership is a podcast that brings on amazing ministry leaders every week and highlights how they are fulfilling the Great Commission in their unique context. Today, I'm so excited to have Tony Morita. He is the pastor for preaching and vision at Imago Day Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Tony, thanks so much for coming on. Hey, Graham. Great to be on with you. Tony, I'm excited to hear from you. Uh, I know that uh, you are a UK fan that is doing wonderful ministry to the people of Duke and North Carolina. So blessings on you, my man. I'm so thankful that you are there being a light for the gospel in that dark place. Yes, I am over here trying to love my enemies, wondering how in the world I got over here. And um, yeah, I am a I am a diehard Big Blue Nation fan. I listen to KSR regularly. Yes. Uh, regularly to my, my dad about uh, Kentucky football, basketball. My college roommate is one of the chaplains for uh, uh, the, the football and baseball team. So I'm, I'm heavily invested, man, and interested in the Cats. Well, you know, we're recording this during the middle of coronavirus, COVID-19, and that's one of the saddest things. Just the At this point, we're not sure what the sports seasons are going to look like, but uh, that's one of the saddest things that, uh, that I have to walk through right now. But I'm, I'm glad to be yeah. talking with you. Excited to be able to hear from your ministry. Uh, Tony's also, in addition to being the pastor at Imago Day, he's also uh, director of theological training for Acts 29, the dean of uh, Grimke Seminary. And so I'm excited to hear from him. He's a guy that's uh, just been used by God in many different uh, contexts of ministry, and I'm excited to learn from him. I know you guys are too. So Tony, why don't we just get started? Just uh, just tell us a little bit about you, um, your story of ministry, um, and how you've gotten into the ministry you're in today. Yeah, great question, man. Um, I was born in Detroit, Michigan. Uh, my dad was born and raised there. My mom was from uh, the hills of Kentucky, and um, they met got married she had never been out of the state of kentucky they wow. moved to detroit they lived there about seven years um, eventually moved back to kentucky and um, i really uh, had no interest in the gospel uh, in christianity i attended church uh, some with my mother um, my dad didn't go uh, and, and had no interest um, and um, sports was, sports were big uh, basketball baseball especially went to uh, Cumberland College on a baseball scholarship. I was a four-year starter as a shortstop there, and um, more importantly, met Christ at my sophomore year. Uh, had some really faithful uh, witnesses on our team that uh, were very instrumental in me coming to faith. Um, immediately after that, I, I got a sense that the Lord may want me in you know, vocational ministry and wrestled through that for a season. Um, and um, met a seminary professor when I was a junior, and I really loved how he handled uh, the Bible, how he taught, and we developed a great friendship. I ended up uh, graduating from Cumberland and then going to study under him. He was in New Orleans, and so I moved to New Orleans. I lived there for about eight years, um, 
did a couple of master's degrees and a PhD there. Uh, started pastoring in the city, went through Hurricane Katrina, hmm. um, went on faculty for a bit at the seminary post-Katrina. Uh, started doing an interim pastorate in Mississippi at a, at a big church. We would drive up every weekend and preach uh, for them. In the meantime, I, we were in the adoption process, my wife and I. Um, met my wife at youth camp. I, I bypassed all that story of, of uh, all my youth camp days, but <laughs> met her there at a, at a particular youth camp. We, we got married. Anyway, uh, we, we adopted five kids. And um, one of the things that had been a passion of mine for a while was uh, church planting. And I had done almost everything but plant a church. And about nine years ago, we, we finally um, took the plunge, moved to uh, Raleigh-Durham. It was one of the four or five areas we were looking at to plant in um, due to uh, kind of the growth of the area, uh, the number of college students, young professionals uh, that seemed to be kind of our sweet spot in ministry. And um, yeah, we've loved it. Um, our church is, is doing well. I mean, we're struggling through COVID like every other sure, church yeah. right now, but um, yeah, I'm grateful for uh, the Lord's grace. It's been quite a journey. That's awesome. So when you think about uh, that the Raleigh area, um, obviously, you know, we joked about the colleges earlier, but that does play a huge part, I'm sure, in the, the culture of that uh, of your area that you're ministering in. Just give us a little glimpse into what uh, that area of North Carolina is like in terms of doing ministry there. Yeah, we really do love it here, uh, despite having uh, Duke and Carolina fans around. <laughs> um, it's a, it's a tech community. Um, some call it like the Silicon Valley of the East. It, it's mm. a medical community um, and it's a university community. So um, that, uh, that it lends to a pretty academic uh, environment. Um, some of the people here love to brag about how we have more PhDs per capita than anywhere in the country mm. uh, in, in Raleigh-Durham. Um, there are tons of college students and then a, a lot of graduates who stay here in the area. So it's, um, it, it's a very unique uh, kind of context. So 36,000 students at NC State, uh, we draw more students from there than the other universities. 26,000 students at UNC, about 15 at Duke, and there's probably another 10 colleges here um, and, and, and the largest community college in the state. So it, we're talking, you know, over 100,000 students. Um, and, uh, you know, College students, it's a great time in their life to consider what they're going to do with their life and who they're going to be and that kind of thing. So we, we really try to be intentional about uh, reaching students. And uh, I partner with uh, Campus Crusade uh, down at NC State doing, um, doing some stuff with them. We have a, a college ministry here trying to reach those, uh, reach college students. Um, yeah, and then you've got the, 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 because it's techie and it's medical and it's university, it's also transient. And um, the cost of living is not outrageous here. So it's a, it, uh, the area is filled with transplants. Um, in fact, we kind of joke here, if you, uh, if you live in Raleigh, you're not from Raleigh. <laughs> there's almost nobody that in our church that, uh, maybe a dozen people, but born and raised right here. It's, it's, hmm. a, it's a place where people move to go to school or uh, people from New England, tons of those folks because of cost of living and such uh, come, hmm. come down here. It's a good place to live, um, good place to raise kids. We, we really like it, um, and there's a lot of people to reach, so it's a, a yeah. lifetime of work to be done here. Yeah. 
So one of the things I've listened to your preaching for a few years and just uh, just just watching your all's church, it seems that uh, the most important thing in the culture of your church is the gospel. Uh, one of the things that you say just as a, a vision statement of sorts is that you keep the gospel central in everything. So when you think about that statement and just that heart in church leadership, what are maybe some of the keys uh, for you guys to really live that culture out and see that culture come to fruition within your church? Yeah, I think uh, gospel centrality is really about where you put the most weight in your ministry and in your in your church. So what, what occupies the most time, attention? What do you celebrate? What do you evaluate? What do you major on? Um, not everything, should, I don't think, deserves the same amount of weight not everything deserves the same amount of time and energy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think what we want to be about in, in terms of the gospel is uh, we want to to make the main thing uh, the the plain thing. Uh, mm-hmm. And we we um, I think gospel centrality has a number of practical benefits in that it's one of the ways you stay unified as a church. Um, most divisions in a church are not due to uh, gospel issues; they're due to preferences, traditions, um, you know, p- politics, <laughs> should you wear a mask or not wear a mask now, mm-hmm. uh, music style, we could go on. And we just decided up front, like, hey, you can have opinions on things that are not central. That's, that's, that's great. That's fine. Um, but we're just not going to divide over them. We're going we're gonna to be about the gospel and major on that which is central. Um, because without it, the gospel, we don't have a church. We've just got, we've got a gathering of, of people and there are gatherings of people uh, in bars and in, you know, basketball arenas and so on. What, what makes, what gives birth to the church is the gospel and what sustains the church is the gospel. And that's what we celebrate. So, um, I think, um, it's always a challenge to be what, uh, I would just say I would call it a prophet for for the the center, and that's what I've tried to do in my ministry. Um, there are marginal issues that are not unimportant, but they're just not central. And um, I've just tried to to center in on you know the good news mm-hmm. and its ramifications, which 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 get out to the margins. But but we've got to major on that which is central, not only for the good of our own soul and the good of our church and our city, but also for the years to come for uh, our posterity, right? Um, churches that don't major on the gospel, who just assume the gospel, uh, tend to uh, lose the gospel in the next generation. And so um, that's why we have to keep explaining it and re-explaining it and emphasizing it and teasing it out and, you know, uh, ex- expounding on the various aspects of the gospel because it's a beautiful diamond and it shines in so many different ways. and. Um, so that's, um, that's definitely our, our thing, man. We, we say we exist to see lives changed by the gospel. Um, we say we have really two things to offer the world and that's the gospel and community. And that community is formed by the gospel. So that's what we're holding out to the world, uh, gospel and community. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. I mean, you know, in, in a lot of ways, that's really the heart of this podcast. This heart, the, this podcast is all about the great commission without the gospel, the great commission, really it loses its power. Um, with the gospel, it's the most powerful thing that we could do as, as believers. And so when you think about uh, 
the Great Commission, we always think about the, the different aspects of both evangelism and discipleship. And so when you think about coming from a position of gospel centrality, uh, what are some of the just the, the main ways that that leads you um, and leads your church to develop and train and, and lead towards an outward and evangelistic focus? Yeah, so I think when it comes to evangelism, we, we want to teach our people to not retreat from culture, not to conform to culture, but to engage culture. And one of the ways that we engage culture, and we're seeing this in, in, especially in our study of First Peter right now, is by doing good. Peter has this great emphasis on really living a beautiful life, living an attractive life in the culture that will provoke questions. And it's when questions arise that we can share the hope that is within us. Um, and so um, the, the goal of, of living a, a beautiful life, attractive life, is to get the gospel to people. You know, it's it, that, uh, that character and that lifestyle illustrates the power of the gospel, but also gives credibility to it, and it, it provokes questions. Um, and so we, we want people to, um, to, to be able to, to see a difference. Uh, and then when that, those questions are raised, as Peter says, we, we speak to them with gentleness and respect and not with condescension or arrogance, um, but with a sense of humility and, and uh, gladness, right? So um, when it comes to evangelism, that's what, we're, what we want to be about. Um, I, we're not trying to win culture wars as a church. We're, we're not trying to persuade the outside world to a particular political ideology. Um, there are many things that churches could be doing for those who are unbelievers and many positions they could take. Um, and I think right now in our day, everyone wants to get on like the right side of an issue of an argument and have the right position. And I just think, you know, what Peter is emphasizing is living a good life among pagans, uh, mm -hmm. that they're just going to wonder what in the world you've got and uh, why it is that you can retain such joy. Because, um, you know, these virtues of joy, of love, of hope, they're attractive. Um, mm. And they're, they're what I call um, experiential apologetics. Mm, like it, uh, it's not, you know, the, the, the old apologetics, and these, this is not a bad thing, is about learning all the answers to people's questions about the problem of evil or the existence of God. And those are fine. But I think what's super winsome and what every Christian can actually do is yeah. share hope. Uh, grandma with no theological training can radiate hope and uh, and be a, a wonderful witness. And the same is true for other virtues, I think, like joy and uh, love. These these kinds of virtues that are countercultural in our day. Yeah. There's so much sadness today, so much negativity, so much criticism, uh, so much argumentation and hostility. And when you when you radiate joy or hope or love, it really does uh, get people's attention. So mm -hmm. I think for evangelism, that's that's kind of uh, the heart of what we're trying to. Uh, tell our people to do. And when it comes to discipleship, we're, we're just really trying to help people think about how the good news um, both motivates and shapes uh, our living. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, the gospel it isn't just that which gets us into the kingdom, but it motivates us. This living hope that is within us motivates us, compels us to live holy lives. Yeah, and right. it's the good news that 
um, shapes how we live, which is why Paul, when he's talking about marriage, for example, takes it to the cross. He takes it to the gospel that we love our wives as Christ loved the church. And when he's talking about forgiveness, he ties it to the gospel that we forgive as God in Christ has forgiven us. Like the motive and the shaping of our ethics and our living is, uh, is, is gospel centered. And so, um, those are, those are some of the things that, that we're saying a lot these days. Yeah. So when you, you're a a big preaching guy, um, when you think about, one of the things I've loved about your preaching is I've listened uh, over the years is that you have such a great way of making a biblically saturated gospel centered message relevant for both non-believers and believers alike. Um, could you give us a little bit of insight just into what does it look like to preach uh, solid, theologically solid, biblically expositional sermons that that do attract uh, both and, and it both builds up the church, but also is is available to be understood by those who maybe have never stepped foot in a church before. How do you how do you balance that? What are some tips that you might give guys who are trying to seek that same type of uh, balance in their preaching? Yeah, so two things come to mind immediately. One is what I'm thinking, and the, the other is kind of what I'm what I'm doing. Okay, mm-hmm. so. Um, what I'm thinking when I prepare a sermon is I want to prepare this for my old self. Uh, mm. So I don't want to prepare the sermon for my peers, which is a, is a real temptation because um, you, you tend to preach to the people that you talk to all the time. That's mm-hmm. just like a default mode. You're, you're, you tend to answer the questions that people are asking you. Um, in your sermons. And if you're a pastor and you're talking to pastors all the time, your, your sermons can, can be really, uh, uh, tailored for, uh, you know, this academic or professional ministry audience when that's not who you're Mm -hmm. talking to. Um, I tell this to seminary students all the time who are not in church ministry, that your sermons in seminary are probably the worst ones you've ever preached because (laughs) you are in a, if you are in a seminary uh, kind of bubble in, in, in training, um, yeah. but it's, it's when you're, uh, doing things in, in life, coaching baseball, going to coffee shops, engaging with your neighbors. It's amazing how your relational, um, web impacts your, uh, your conversational style, your preaching style. Um, mm-hmm. and that's why I often say that all of life is sermon prep, like mm-hmm. who, who you're interacting with regularly impacts you. Now, back to what I said about the, the, the old self. What, I'm, what I think about is, you know, 20, 21, 22 year old Tony, who uh, first wasn't a Christian, but I was interested. Uh, there was a point where I got interested and I had questions and I didn't mind if a guy taught from the Bible, I actually expected him to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't mind that he, you know, went verse by verse in, in a passage and told me what words meant and told me what the context was, as long as I could understand him and yeah. keep up with him it was accessible. And then when I became a Christian, I was just hungry, but I was still really, really green and mm-hmm. also needed that kind of clarity. So I think uh, a lot of, uh, you know, preaching to skeptics and doubters and seekers is really just about um, accessibility, clarity, using illustrations that they can identify with, um, you know, being able to show them why a passage is, is significant for yeah. our cultural moment, those kinds of things. So, that's that's the I preach to the old self, not peers. Um, 
you want to see that old self, you know, the, the skeptic or the new Christian grow. So you, you are taking them. You're not shying away from substance. Um, and then what I do is, is basically two things when it comes to unbelievers. Uh, one is I try to address them in the introduction hmm. or I've already addressed them in the, the worship service during the welcome. But I try to help them see I have them in mind as I'm preaching. And it doesn't take a lot lot of time. I've, I've seen Mark Dever do this for years um, and, and other preachers where you're just basically saying, hey, if you're not a Christian, I'm glad you're here. And here's why. And you just give it an answer. And I'm always glad they're here. And it's always a good week for them to be there uh, for some reason. So if you're talking about First Peter, you might say something like, this is a really concise summary of Christianity in five chapters. So if you really want to know what it is we believe, like get it from the Bible and not, mm -hmm. you know, a misrepresentation maybe that you've, yeah. you've looked at or received. And then after that little initial getting them on the bus, I, I try to, at, at a couple of points in the sermon, uh, have these moments where I'm saying, hey, if you're not a Christian, you might be wondering about this. Um, and so I just try to engage them. You don't have to be super winsome and uh, uh you know like an apologist you just need to let them know that you know they're in the room mm -hmm. and that you're respectful when you talk to them because what's happened through the years in a lot of conservative preaching is there's not a respect and gentleness there there's like throwing the grenade and a condescension at people mm -hmm. for not believing what you believe and they're not coming back and uh, i've just seen it in our church it, it takes some of these students, especially in young professionals, seven to 50 times coming here before they actually say, uh, yes, we want to follow Jesus. And if our character runs them off in the first you know, week or two, that, that, that's on us. Like yeah. the gospel may turn them off and, and that's fine. It does that. But it's not us that, that should do that. I want unbelievers to say, you know what? I don't agree with that guy. That ball-headed guy, you know, uh, he's, he's up there talking. But, man, uh, I really respect that he represented uh, the other view well. It wasn't a straw man, you know. Like, like uh, I really respect that he's thought through that pop music song by Katy Perry and has affirmed that which is good in that song, but also what is not consistent with Christianity, like he's, He's not, he doesn't have his head in the sand. He's aware of what culture's th thinking. I, I want those kinds of conversations or, or for them to say, I'd like to actually sit down and talk to him for an hour because I think I could ask him my questions. Um, th that kind of a spirit is, you know, what I call uh, expository evangelism, um, where you can actually do substantive teaching so long as you have sort of these traits of an evangelist and, and not just be for Christians, mature Christians but you can actually preach to both believer and unbeliever. Um, so that's an area that I think I've grown in. It's an area that I'm, I want to continue to grow in. Yeah. I love that. I think that the clarity aspect of that is so uh, important and also one of the hardest things there is about preaching. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think I'm, I'm no expert, um, but in the, the experience that I do have, I, that is one of the biggest challenges is to, 
to make those big theological ideas that you're trying to drive home to people who can use them to grow, but also helping people who are there just to make sense of it and be able to follow along. But yeah, that's such a great goal to shoot for and to fight for and to evaluate and grow in. And so I think that's, that's a huge help, Tony. I appreciate that. So when you think about uh, just leadership, you know, you've, you've gotten not only in your church, but uh, at the seminary level um, with your involvement with, with the church planning network, you just have a really great platform and position to invest in younger pastors. So when, uh, you know, if somebody listened to this, got the opportunity just to ask you, like, what are some just keys, uh, just general keys just to, to growing as a young leader or as a young pastor, what are maybe some just generic um, principles that you might share with them? Man, I, I think um, I would start with personal holiness. Um, w- without holiness, we don't have a ministry. And so mm-hmm. we just don't ever forget that. Watch your life and doctrine. Um, accompanied with that would be humility. Um, we're, we're not superstars. We're not rock stars. We're we're we're, we're people who wash feet. We're servant leaders. Um, and so let's let's never think something is beneath us. Let's um, let's be humble enough to listen to people. Let's be humble enough to serve people. Um, holiness, humility, happiness. I think. One of the things that's attractive in leadership is joy. Um, a joyful leader um, really really sets the tone for the whole church. Um, and I think I think the gospel should cause us to radiate Christian joy, like the book of Philippians talks about over and over again. Uh, in all circumstances, we rejoice not because everything in life is great. A lot of life stuff in, in life is sorrowful. It's grievous. And every day I'm, I'm sorrowful about something, but underneath that is a well of joy from which to drink in the gospel. And so we, we can have a joy at all times. Um, and I, I think you, you show me a person who's, who's, who's happy in the Lord. Um, you know, that was one of George Mueller's prayers every morning he said was to get his heart happy in the Lord um, and to, to walk in humility uh, before God and before others and to try to lead a holy life. Um, those are, those are attractive traits. Those are traits that also, you know, obviously please God, but they're traits that make up for our deficiencies in ministry. Um, because like leadership is not all about skills. Skills will, skills are important, but uh, it's more about the heart, I would argue. Um, and you show me a person who's happy in the Lord, who's humble, who's holy. Even if he's not a great speaker, uh, he'll be interesting. And you'll want to listen to them um, because there's a credibility there. That's uh, that's really powerful. In fact, most people's favorite preacher, uh, outside of kind of Christian leadership circles and those who are in the Christian subculture, most average Joes in the church, their their favorite preachers are not the most skilled or polished. They're not on the circuit, um, but they know that person walks with God. Uh, that person was with me in the hospital. That person listened to me in hard times, and they 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 love uh, they they love the preacher, and they should. And I. I think that's a beautiful thing. So I think you're just aspiring to these character traits. Um, outside of character um, is just a life, a life of learning. Um, just we, leaders are readers. Uh, leaders try to perfect their craft. They try to, to get better. Um, preaching and teaching is, is part gift, but it's also something you can work on. Um, you know, Paul told Timothy to let them see your progress as he's talking to them about 
talking to him about his his teaching ministry. So we're just we're we're always learners. Uh, you don't have to do it formally necessarily. You might, but but we're always growing and learning, and that also will, will help us as leaders because we'll be feeding people out of a living, uh, you know, stream rather than a mm-hmm. stagnant pond, and uh, and that that will be refreshing to them. So. Um, yeah, there's there's so much to leadership, obviously, but those are the things that just right off the top of my head. No, that's good, Tony. Thank you for sharing that. I think uh, you, what you touched on is such a important thing for leaders in ministry, whether it's church, parachurch, uh, whatever that is, to focus on because their temptation is real as we see uh, the leaders around us, uh, maybe in the secular fields that focus uh more on the skill side of things and less on uh, the character side of things, but we're called to be a little bit different in our leadership. Um, it does seem that the Bible and that God places more emphasis on the character and the holiness of the leader than just on the skills. And so I think that's such a great thing to shoot for um, while also not neglecting the skills either, because that's not uh, honoring to the Lord either, but to focus more on your heart for God and, and the gospel and how uh your leadership is just an overflow of those things. It's a helpful reminder. So um, when you think about the the lessons you've learned in leadership just through experiences with uh, church planning, different pastoring opportunities, just the different leadership opportunities that God's given you, what's maybe, uh, you know, a leadership lesson or two that has really uh, impacted you, that God's taught you that, that might be encouraging for us to hear? Uh, probably the well, kind of two ideas. It's, I guess it's really one, um, and that is the importance of team in leadership. Um, I say two because my other part of that is just know what you're good at and what you're not good at, and mm-hmm. get people who can do the things you're not good at, and That's don't good. don't feel the pressure to be good at everything. I mean, I am terrible at so many things, man. Like I would never be on anybody's podcast uh, if, if nobody's asking me about administration or finance yeah. <laughs> or how to do spreadsheets because I don't do it. Um, I, I am uh, the relational leader. I'm the evangelist. I'm the expositor. I'm the vision caster. Um, I, I meet with people. I'm not a very good counselor, um, but we have pastors who do admin. They're great at counseling. Uh, we've got a great team. And um, I, I would not also be able to do other things that I do outside our church without a great team who uh, – me up to do those things so mm-hmm. i'm very much you know uh the beneficiary of having a great team so i would just say, uh, be a team player um not only to to have you know a success we want to call it success in ministry but but also for your own accountability and um for your own humility um mm-hmm. like it, it's really dangerous if pastors are kind of operating out by themselves and um we we are not beyond falling and we all know names of those who have and so Mm -hmm. i just think for your own protection and for your own uh, production like you uh you really need a good team so we stress that a lot with our young guys who want to uh plant churches Um, we often say team is more important than location Mm -hmm. Um, right like uh anywhere you live can get old uh, after a while i think but and uh, the grass is always greener somewhere else. But what, what doesn't get old to me uh, are relationships. And I think you give me the right team and we can go to Nepal or New York or, or Raleigh 
or uh, Clay County, Kentucky, uh, and and we can have some enjoyable ministry time together. Mm-hmm. And so we just always are are uh, pressing, you know, the, the 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 importance of team. And I think that's a biblical concept. I don't we we don't see Paul operating, for example, in isolation. He's he's got a whole web of relationships. So um, mm-hmm. I would emphasize that to people. Yeah, that's great, Tony. I like to end just with uh, guests giving some different books and resources that have shaped your leadership. So what are a few uh, books or resources that have shaped your leadership? Uh, there's a biography by uh, Dallimore on Spurgeon. It's a small biography. I would recommend that to guys who are pastors just mm-hmm. for your own soul. It'll be encouraging. It's short. Um, I, more recently, I, I really uh, appreciate A Dangerous Calling by Paul yeah. Tripp. Just back to character and back to heart. Um, just a really wonderful, wonderful book. Um, gosh, man, there's so many. Um, in terms of like church life and church strategy, uh, Center Church is a is a massive book, um, but you can cover so so much so much territory in that book. I think that's a really good book um, uh, for leaders. Um, generally speaking, I'm, I like the, the dead guys. I like the old guys who, who wrote um, because they they tend to uh, and the, uh, they tend to write more about character than mm. strategy and success. Mm. And what I find in my own life is I need inspiration there more than I need the how tos of organizational, you know, strategy. Um, I just think it's it's more the interior life and the heart and uh, so I, anything that can feed your soul, uh, for me, you know, that's, that's been the writings of uh, Luther and Calvin through the years, uh, Lloyd-Jones, John Stott, J.I. Packer, uh, Francis Grimke, like a lot of these, these guys who had, who had also been through the wars, they'd been through the trenches, they, they had a long ministry in one place. Um, I, I tend to just really enjoy reading them for my soul. Mm, that's awesome. Well, Tony, thanks so much for your time today. Uh, I just am thankful for your investment and just some of the uh, focus on the gospel and the reminders of character, how the gospel impacts our character and that should, how that should transform every part of our leadership. Thanks for those reminders today. And uh, I appreciate your time. Uh, and go Cats, man. Thank you, brother. My joy. Thanks for listening to the Great Commission Leadership Podcast. If this podcast has impacted you, please subscribe, share, and rate so that others can be impacted as well. You can connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at GCLpod. And join us again next week for another episode of the Great Commission Leadership Podcast.